So welcome back to PV and Students Wednesday night, and, and let's just get right to it, okay? We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 tonight. Philippians chapter 3. And tonight, our, while you guys are turning there, our focus is going to be on what's important to you and how Jesus changes that, okay? So the things that are important to you and how Jesus changes what those things are. So we're in Philippians chapter 3, and let's just start in verse 1. Sounds like a good idea, okay? So Paul is writing this to the church at Philippi, and he says this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Okay, so to, so to write the same things over again. What's Paul doing? When you do something over and over again, you're, you're repeating, right? Paul's repeating himself over and over again. And for us, we're not the biggest fans of repeating things. Like in school, when we put school with repeating it, you don't, that doesn't sound too appealing, right? And, and even in classes that you're in now, really, Lord of the Flies, again, Scarlet Letter, again, Fractions, again, high schoolers, Fractions, again, really? You know, when we, when we think about repeating things and doing the same thing again, we don't like that. We, we live in a culture where we want what's next now. Okay, We live in a culture where we want what's next now. And here's the thing, though, because people always bash that. And here's the thing. In some instances, that's a good thing. In some parts of life, it's good to want to go forward and want what's next and not be content to do the same thing over and over again. But when we learn the same thing over and over again, we think that's annoying, right? We do. We think it's annoying. Paul doesn't see it that way. Look at verse 1 again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again, so to repeat. To repeat is no trouble for me. It is a safeguard to you. So repeating is no trouble for me. It is a safeguard for you. What does that mean? This word safeguard, okay? In the, so what a safeguard? What in the world? How does repeating and a safeguard, what in the world? Safeguard means certainty, okay? In the original language in Philippians, it Safeguard is certainty. So Paul's saying, the more I repeat this, the more it becomes a safeguard for you. The more I repeat these words, the more it becomes a certainty to you. Paul is saying, each time I say this, it gets over and over again, it gets drilled into your heart a little bit deeper each time. The more I repeat this, the more certain you become of it. The more I repeat this, the more, every time I repeat this, you learn something a little bit different about it, which makes you more certain of it. And that certainty will protect you. That certainty will be your safeguard. So the next time you're in your bed, in your room, alone at night, or the next time you and the person you're dating are by yourselves with no one else around, you, that certainty, what, how does certainty protect you? You've been, you remember what you've been taught, and since, it's been, since what's been taught has been repeated to you, it's been drilled into your heart, and you're certain of it. And out of that certainty, you can say, no, I'm not doing this. We're not doing this. Why not? Because I know what this book says about this. And since I'm certain of what this book says about this, I know we're not going to do this. You see how that certainty has protected you? How that certainty has become your safeguard? Paul is saying, the more I repeat this, the more you learn it. 
The more you learn it, the more it means to you. The more it means to you, the more it affects your life. The more you want to make room for it in your life and say no to other things. So Paul is saying it's no trouble for me to repeat this over and over to you because it will protect you. It will make you more certain of it. So what is it? What is this thing that he is repeating over and over again? What is this truth that Paul repeats over and over again? This truth, look at me, this truth that will protect you if you believe it. This truth that will be your safeguard. This truth that will protect you. It's the first line of the verse. Back to three one. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. This is what Paul is repeating over and over again. Finally, so my brethren, his brethren, his people, his community, the church at Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. Paul wants his community, his church, to find their deepest joy in the Lord. Paul, Paul tells them to rejoice eight times in four chapters in Philippians. Okay, And the reason, so why does he harp on this over and over and over again? The reason Paul continually reminds them to rejoice in the Lord, and we'll talk about what that means, the reason Paul continually reminds them to rejoice in the Lord is because Paul used to not rejoice in the Lord. Paul used to rejoice in other things. You see, we rejoice, okay, rejoice, what in the world? To rejoice means to get joy from. If you go do something and you enjoy it, you are rejoicing in that thing. Does that make sense? I'm going to, no one rejoices in the SAT. Does that make sense? You rejoice in Disney World or whatever, okay? Does that make sense? Watching clips of people at Disney World. You, you rejoice, you take joy from these things. We rejoice in the things that we love. Again, example, no one here is looking to take their birthday money and donate it to an organization that supports the SAT. You're not going to do that. You're not going to donate that money to them. Well, why not? Seriously, why not? Because you want to spend that money on things that you like, on things that your heart wants, things that you rejoice in. So the question is, the question that Paul is, is getting at, which we're going to hit really hard in just a minute, is what do you rejoice in? What does your heart rejoice in? What do you look at or think about and say, if I just had this, then I would have a terrible day, but as long as I had this, everything would still be okay. I would be able to get through. What is that's what you really rejoice in? What is that for you. For Paul, before it was the Lord, it was the fact that he obeyed the law perfectly. That's what Paul used to rejoice in and take pride in, his accomplishments. Look at verses 4 and 5, and I'm going to read them, and then I'll tell you what it has to do with you. So 4 and 5, Paul says, although I myself have confidence in what I have done, if anyone else has a mind to be confident in what they've done, I have far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Okay, so these are, so Paul's saying, whoever is confident in what they've done, I should be more confident. So he talks about his confidence and then he lists the reasons that he's confident. Does that make sense? Verse four, he talks about confidence. Verse five, he lists the reasons he's confident. And let's go one by one. Um, circumcised on the eighth day. This is what that, okay, this is what that means. In Jewish culture, um, when a Hebrew baby boy was born, when they were eight days old, that's when they were circumcised. Not a day later, not a day earlier. Paul was circumcised on the exact day he was supposed to be. He's literally saying, I obeyed the letter of the law ever since I was a baby. That's what he's saying. That's his point. Okay? 
Next one, of the tribe of Israel, I'm sorry, of the country of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin, who cares? Why, what does that matter? A little history lesson, okay? Not going to be a quiz, so don't freak out. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel had basically a civil war. And they split into the, into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel did not obey the Lord. They didn't seek his face. They elected their own kings. They didn't listen to who the Lord had chosen. And it was corrupt and horrible. The southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, they obeyed the Lord. They kept the king in David's line and David's sons. They followed his wishes. They followed his ways. And they were successful. Well, guess whose tribe was in the southern kingdom? The tribe of Benjamin. Paul again is saying, I come from a line of people who all we do is obey the law. My ancestors are famous, literally, for obeying the law. Next one, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is what this means. Um, he is a Hebrew son, Paul is a Hebrew son of Hebrew parents. And that means that no foreigner married into his family to then have him. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's not a Hebrew of foreigners. He's a pure blood, is what he's saying. And then the last one, as to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee is exactly what it sounds like, and you guys know this. A Pharisee is a master of the Old Testament law. They know it inside and out. So these are Paul's accomplishments when it comes to the law. And all this together is, is Paul's resume, if you want to call it that. Okay. So here's the thing. What does Paul's resume have anything to do with you? Okay? What does Paul's resume have anything to do with you? Chat, uh, verse 4 kind of explains that a little bit. So look at verse 4, and then I'll open it up some. Um, let's see. Also, though I myself have confidence in what I have done, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in what they have done, I have far more. The key word in this, the thing that connects you to Paul thousands of years ago is this word confidence, okay? Paul is saying, here we go, you don't have any of these things in common with Paul, right? You're not sitting, you guys aren't Pharisees, okay? You, you don't, you're not Hebrew of Hebrews, and you don't have any of this in common with Paul. But the thing that links you guys is your confidence, because this is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, these were the things that I put my confidence in in. Okay? These were the things that I put my confidence in. He talks about confidence and he lists all these things. These are the things that I put my confidence in. What do you put your confidence in? And here's what this means. When I say confidence, I don't mean like you're confident, like, yes, I can do this. The word for confidence here, it means trust or reliance. That's what that means. When you, what do you put your confidence in? In other words, at the end of the day, if everything's going wrong, but you still have this, you're going to be all right. You can make it because that's what you've put your confidence in. What do you trust in? What do you rely on? I've only got time for two examples, so I've got to make them good, okay? And the first one, so many of us put our confidence in relationships. So many of us put our confidence in dating. Okay? Yeah, now you're going to listen to me. In dating. And, and here's the thing. I, so many of you are like, well, I don't, Ryan. I'm single. Thanks for bringing that up. And, and, you, and you say, I don't put my confidence in dating. I'm single. Not me. Oh, yes, you single one. And you say, how can, I, how can you put your confidence in dating if you're single, it's like this. 
and I'm going to hit home, so just get ready. Um, it's like this. Your body needs water, right? Your body needs water. And remember what we said, what to put your confidence in something means to put your trust in it, to rely on it. That's, if you want to circle that word confidence, just put trust and rely. That's what it means. Your body needs water. Your body has put its confidence in water. It trusts water. Your body relies on water. Your body needs water. Can you imagine what would happen if you didn't get it? If your body didn't get the water that it needed? Your body would begin to shut down, and you would begin to notice it. You would be miserable without it. Guys, we have done, so many of us, we have done the exact same thing for dating. Instead of putting your confidence in God, where it should be, you've put your confidence in dating. You trust in it, you rely on it, you need it. And just like a body that is miserable without water because it's not getting what it needs, you're miserable when you're single because your heart is not getting what it thinks it needs. Because you've put your trust in something and it's failed you. So now you're spiraling because you put your confidence in this thing. It's what you need and you don't have it. So like a body that, doesn't need, that needs water and doesn't get it, it would be miserable. Your heart needs a relationship and you don't have it, so you're miserable. And this works the exact same way if you flip it the other way around. Um, good buddy of mine, I'm actually going to his birthday in Atlanta on Friday, and he would say this if he was here. He, he did not have a girlfriend all throughout high school. Okay? And then he finally got one senior year. But throughout his high school career, he had put his confidence in, his trust in dating. Even though he didn't have it, that's where his hope was. He trusted it. He relied on it. He needed it. It consumed him. It was all he thought about. And then when he finally got what he needed, can you imagine what it would be like for someone dying of thirst in the desert when they finally got what they needed? He disappeared off the face of the earth when he got the girlfriend. He was all, he was, he was, he was gone, right? This happens. And this is what, and, and this is the thing. He lost a lot of friends because, because that's what idols do. When we put our confidence in idols, that's what they do. They take. They don't give. They take. What does the Bible say about Satan? He has come to, to steal and kill and destroy, to Take. This is how you can tell, and again, not everybody, this is not the case for everybody when it comes to dating. So just to, just to get a big screen out there and get everybody, here's how you know, and we've talked about this before, it's from a guy named Tim Keller. Here's how you know if something is an idol in your life, okay? This is, I'm going to get everybody, okay? This is how you know if it's an idol in your life. You're going to have things in your life that you like, and that's fine, that's good. Video games are fun, that's fine. You can like these things. Have, dating someone is good, it's fun, it's great. You can, you can like these things. And you're going to have things in your life that you lose. And you're going to be sad. And that's okay too. But here's how you know if it's an idol. If you lose it, you're not just sad. You go postal, okay? You absolutely lose it. That's how you know it's an idol. Because you lose the thing you've put your confidence in. Your whole life is wrapped up in this thing, and to lose this is to lose your life, so you're going to freak out about it. Does that make sense? You've, you've put your confidence in this, the same way Paul put his confidence in his accomplishments. When we put our confidence in idols, they take 
from us. But when we put our confidence in God where it should be, He is a giver. He he gives order to our lives. He gives us good, healthy desires that don't run our lives. If if we put our confidence in God, you'll still want a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but you don't need one. Do you see the difference? You'll want you that's healthy, that's fine. You'll want this but you won't need it so it doesn't take over the way it used to. It doesn't drive you the way it used to because we haven't put our confidence in it. We've put our confidence in God. And as a result of that, putting our confidence where it belongs, all that's left is a healthy desire for this or a healthy desire for a relationship. You see the difference? You see how God has given you a healthy desire? You see how he's put order in your life? How he's freed you from that idol? Because your heart's not wrapped up in it. It doesn't drive your life. Your heart's wrapped up in God, and that drives your life. Whatever you put your confidence in, here it is. Whatever you put your confidence in, that's what will run your life. Whatever you put your trust in, whatever you put your confidence in, that's what will run your life. And you say, run my life. That sounds a lot like what a king does. Yes, it is. Whatever you put your confidence in, it will rule you. That's why putting your confidence in God is the only thing that makes sense because he's the only one that will rule perfectly. Nothing else can do that. Another person cannot do that. Um, Things can't do that. Performance can't do that. Athletics cannot do that. They're good things that God has given us to be in a healthy relationship with, but they were not designed to put all of your confidence in. In. Another person is not designed. It's not like stop idolizing relationships, that's bad. You got to understand. Another person is not designed to hold everything you have. They're not designed to do that. Okay? Only God is built to handle everything inside your heart, which is why He's the only thing that it makes sense to put confidence in. And that's, you see, that's what was going on in Paul's heart. He put all, these are the things that I had confidence in, da, 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 in verse 5. He put his confidence in his accomplishments. At the end of the day, if all of this stuff was going wrong, he still had his accomplishments. He could still hang on to those things. They were, they were what he worshipped. They were his king. They were gain to him. If I, had, if I have this, think about it in your head. If I just had this, it would be gain. Yes, I have this finally. That's what accomplishment was to Paul. And then verse 7 happens. That's your cue to look at verse 7. So in verse 7, Paul says, now remember, his accomplishments, they're gained to him. That's what he wants. That's what his life is built around. They're his idols. That's what is gained to him. And then verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of, of Christ. Okay, one more time. But whatever was gained to me, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for sake of Christ. What does that mean? We hear that all the time. What I, what I used to consider gain, I now see as loss. What does that mean? How does that happen? So let's just slow down one at a time. These things that were gained to me, so were is past tense, they're not gained to him anymore. These things that were gained to me, so they're not gained anymore, what are they now? 
those things I have counted as loss. So these things that used to be gain, that he used to worship, now they're loss to him. These things that he used to say, I want this, I need this, now he says, I don't want this anymore. How does that happen? That verse just kind of skips right over our heads and we kind of tune out because it's like, what's gain is loss. Well, it sounds cool, but how does that happen? How does something that is gain become loss? How does that work? How would that happen? This is how it happens. This is what happened to Paul. Um, If I came up to you and I gave you $20, no one in here would be like, oh my gosh, really? It'd be $20. You would enjoy that. That's gain. That's 20 bucks. You go to the mall, Amazon, I don't know what kids do, whatever you guys want, okay? As long as it's, you know, you get it. But um, $20, that's gain for you. Now, imagine, and just go with me here, imagine if I give you $20, and tomorrow you go to school, and you're at practice in the afternoon, and you look under the bleachers because you see something shining, right? So you go under the bleachers, and you find a diamond, and I mean like a big honking, like a diamond diamond, okay? So you're freaking out a little bit, you take it home, you show your parents, and your parents are like, look, we're going to do this the right way, we're going to go to the police, this looks pretty valuable, we're going to turn it in. And uh, we'll see what happens. You go, you give the diamond to the police, you come home, a month goes by. You don't hear anything. Nothing happens. And at the end of the month, knock on your door, it's the cops. And they come in and they say, listen, it's been, it's been a month. We've reached out to everybody we're supposed to reach out to. Um, the legal limit is 30 days. And we've contacted everyone we're supposed to contact, and we haven't heard back from anybody. No one has responded. So, since no one has claimed it at the end of 30 days legally, this diamond belongs to you. And by the way, we had it appraised, and it's worth $2.5 million. Okay? So you take that. You have found that. You have seen that. And you go to school. What if you go to school the next day, and I come up to you again, and I'm like, look, I will give you, if you give me that diamond, I will give you 20 bucks. What would you, yeah, exactly. Thank you, middle school. What would, your, what would your response be? You'd be like, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. If I, if I gave this up to get $20, that would be such a loss. Wait a minute. A month ago, $20, what was once gain has now become loss. A month ago, $20 was a huge gain for you. And now it's become a loss. What, what happened? Just listen to me. Something of incredible value has come in and changed your life. Something of incredible value has come into your life and changed your priorities. You have gained this thing of highest value. In this diamond, and to trade it away for your $20 past pleasures would be a huge mistake and a huge loss. You know, you'd be a fool to go back to what you used to love. In light, here it is, in light of this true beauty, what used to be gain is now loss compared to the surpassing value of your diamond. Look at verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be loss 
in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus was the diamond that came into Paul's life and showed him that all his things that he used to love were $20 compared to him. Christ was the diamond that came into Paul's life and showed him all the things that he used to love, all the things that he used to put his confidence in, was $20 compared to him. And Paul saw Jesus' beauty and said, I want that. I will put my confidence in that, in him instead. Well, this sounds awesome, Ryan, and that's really cool, and there's money involved, so great, but how do I... How do I do that? How do you do that? How do you see Jesus the way Paul saw Jesus? As a way to say, I will give, I will put this, I will put my heart over here instead of in these things because it's that much worth it to me. It's that worth it to me. This is, he is my diamond. He's worth more than all these other things. And to give him up to go back to these other things would be lost. How do you do that? How do you see Jesus that way? Here's the good news. Before you ever saw, just look at me and then you can tune out and like, after five minutes. The, the, the wonderful thing about this is before you ever saw Jesus that way, He saw you first. He saw you first. And He loved you before you saw. How do I see Jesus that way? And you're freaking out and you're stressing out and it's so hard and, and lust is so strong and greed is so strong and performance is so strong. And when someone, when someone is rude to me, it's so easy to be rude back. How do I see Jesus Instead of doing that, it's so easy to do that. Realize that he saw you first. He saw you first, and, and he loved you enough to, tr- to leave his father's house. So he lost his home for you. He gave up his crown. He gave up his royal robes, his things of beauty and royalty, so that he could have you. He saw you. He saw everything he'd have to lose to get you, and he said, worth it. It's worth it to me if I get to have them. And and don't feel guilty. The point of the gospel is not to guilt you into doing this. The point of the gospel is to get rid of your guilt. The truest love that you seek, the deepest contentment that you seek when you watch pornography when, you, when, you, when someone says something to you when you're playing sports and it's so easy to pop one right back and you feel so good, something deeper than that is waiting for you. Someone who loved you enough to leave his... What if someone, someone who loves you enough to leave his home and leave his things so that he could have you? Christ saw you. He saw everything he would have to lose to get you. He said, worth it. And here it is. Here it is. That was not it. That was not what I'm talking about. We're going to have to fix that. That is not what I was talking about. Um, that was like perfect, too. Um, here we go. How, does that, how do I do that, though? How does that happen? I'm hearing you say it, and, you're, and you know, you're doing your thing up here, but I'm not feeling that. Here's how this happens. Seeing the fact that Christ saw you first, and, and everything he traded so that he could be with you, he loved you that much, when that works its way into your heart, how does it work its way into your heart? Through being repeated 
over and over. Rejoice in the Lord. What is Paul doing? He's repeating over and over. Every time he repeats it, it gets a little bit deeper into your heart. And the deeper that gets into your heart, the more it gets into your heart, the more your heart will begin to change on its own. And you will begin to see things that you used to love and you will see Jesus and you will put those things down so that you can be with Him more. And you will find yourself beginning to say, worth it. It's worth it to put this down so I can spend more time. And not just to read your Bible, but it's worth it to not do this with this person. It's worth it to not watch this or listen to this. Not because that's the rule, but because it's worth it. There's a difference, is there not? You can obey the rule but not think it's worth it to obey the rule. But to want to obey these things, that's what a changed heart looks like. The changed heart says, worth it to be closer to him. What I, used, what I used to see as gain, I now see as loss compared to knowing Jesus. Let's pray.